The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's regular podcast. I'm John Howard with Capital Weekly and I'm joined today by Mike Madrid, uh, who wears a lot of hats. He's a national and statewide uh, expert in Latino politics. Um, he has done, uh, he was a spokesperson for the California, Repu- uh, excuse me, political director of the California Republican Party. He's uh, known uh, as a, a well-known as an expert in local government issues and politics. Uh, he's an expert in Latino politics, and we're delighted to have him today to talk about really weighty subjects like squirrels, and then, of course, the Lincoln Project. Mike is on the board of the Lincoln Project, and we wanted to ask him about that, which is really um, really gaining traction lately. So, Mike, welcome. Thanks uh, a lot for having me, Gavin. It's always a pleasure to be talking to you. So I do a Google of Mike Madrid's name and squirrels, and the first thing that popped up was Squirrel King. So what is, uh, what's, uh, what's with the squirrels? Let's talk about the weighty stuff first. What's with these squirrels? Well, yeah, it's kind of a funny story. It, uh, basically, for anybody who hasn't been following along, which is maybe most people listening in, um, you know, during during the pandemic, there's all the isolation that we've been in. Um, I, I uh, live in a mid, midtown Victorian here in downtown Sacramento. And, um, you know, over the course of the few weeks uh, in living alone, I encountered a family of squirrels who were living under my eaves. And um, what started out as sort of this kind of jovial, fun story quickly became kind of a, a viral sensation on Twitter um, and the kind of the daily escapades of my, my quote-unquote battles with this world of family of squirrels. And, um, it, you know, it was a lot of fun. I think in a lot of ways it was about, um, you know, just all of us in isolation, recognizing some of the smaller things that happen in our daily lives. You know, we, we see squirrels every day and don't even notice them. Um, this became sort of an epic saga battle between, you know, man and nature or, you know, Elmer Fudd and, and Bugs Bunny, if you, if you will. Um, but, but it did become, you know, kind of a, kind of a big deal. And there were, you know, thousands of people all over the world who ended up tuning in and kind of watching the daily escapades of my interactions with these, these squirrels. I obviously, as a storyteller, you know, made it bigger than it was a little bit more epic. You throw in some Godfather music or some Star Wars thematics and, uh, had some fun with it, but all, all done, all done, you know, with tweet by tweet and in, you know, 10, 15 second video segments. And, um, you know, I get hundreds of people all over the world, you know, offering advice on how to get rid of them or how to take care of them or what to name them. And so it was a lot of fun. What was the first goal? Just to kind of like get rid of them? Did you want to get, get them out of there or did you want to make friends with the or squirrels? Wanna, or what was the... Well, it was really kind of just an organic thing. I just posted this one photo, I think is really what kind of made it all take off, which is I was leaning outside my window and the squirrel on top of the eave was looking down at me. And so you see half of my face and above me is this squirrel looking down on me. And that photo, I think, really took off. I think it got 30,000 likes or retweets or something. And and the news organizations yeah. around the world started calling in and wanted these stories on the squirrels. The truth of the matter is, um, it, it was really kind of, again, just me sort of telling a story. There, there, uh, it, there was really yeah. no objective. They were just kind of sitting around. I was a little bit bored, as we all were, uh, you know, in, in isolation and quarantine. And um, as, as more and more people, hundreds of people would start following along, I would kind of make up the next day's story, and it would just get bigger and bigger and bigger. 
And I think it just became something that people did, again, in isolation. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of community all around the world while we're all inside. What's happening with Mike and the squirrels today? And it became just kind of this fun storyline that people just started to really join in. And these squirrels kind of created a sense of community for yeah. folks and ended up being a good time. I saw one guy tweet. Um, I saw one, uh, Jamie Capelli, I think it is, tweeted and said, hey, this is the best thing on the Internet. I'm canceling my Netflix account. So people are looking at this as, <laughs> as high entertainment. You know? There was a lot of that. I mean, a lot of uh, reporters would weigh yeah. in with stuff. People would send everything from squirrel recipes and from different places. People would yeah. say, you know, here's how you poison them. Here's how my uncle got rid of them to other people saying, I'll send you money if you don't hurt them. You know, I'll send out a, somebody from Animal Rescue. And I was like, you know, most of this, 90% of this is, was all fabricated. It's just a couple of squirrels eating yeah. some oranges and that's up on. I had a friend who lived in uh, Curtis Park. Uh, he, he was a former reporter. He's retired now. You probably know Mark Lifshur. He was with the LA Times and with the Wall Street Journal. And uh-huh. he had, he thought they were rats at first. And he was hearing all these things in his house. He had a, kind of a two and a half story in Curtis Park and there are trees everywhere and they he, so he figured you know that, that it would be a rat infestation and he could hear them in the walls and then he saw them and there were squirrels and they were actually there was a squirrel family in his walls and he couldn't get rid of them and it was driving him crazy the noise was you know he could hear through the walls it was kind of spooky at night to hear him scur- scurrying around and running around yeah. and stuff so he finally got him got rid of him but he had to get he had to get a professional in there you know he didn't have you he should have called you you know yeah well it became it became a similar situation that, that's exactly what started is you can hear him scurrying around under the eaves and, and it's constant scratching and it does get a little bit annoying and i think the first post i put up was yeah yeah, I'm, I'm in battle with this squirrel. He's been in my you know, eaves for the last week, and he's just making noises. And I think that, that caption in the picture kind of really catalyzed the whole story. Um, and again, it, it, just, it, was, it was a fun thing to do. It built a sense of community. I think all of us, just, we were kind of you know, bored with watching even more TV. We're spending probably some time on yeah. social media, and it just kind of grew into this larger uh, phenomenon, which um, you know, it, was, it, was, it was an opportunity, I think, for all of us to kind of just have a little bit of fun and uh, – do a little daydreaming, which we do. And, yeah. and, you know, we brought some Michael Corleone theme song, you know, uh, storylines came into this and, and then I realized, okay, this, well, and again, it, it had a little bit of a tragic ending. I don't want to you know, upset anybody on the podcast, but it, it unfortunately ended yeah. um, um, not well, but, but I will say this. Um, one of, uh, one of my uh, followers on Twitter actually built a small little picnic table for squirrels and mailed it to me. And it just arrived yesterday. So if the, if the squirrel family does come back, I'll be setting that out on my eaves and uh, putting some nuts out there and see if the family doesn't come back and, and see yeah. if we can't have a... And, and it did not end well, right? This this all didn't end happily, right? It did not end well. It's not quite over yet, but for one of the squirrels who met, yeah, unfortunately, nothing I did, but, but uh, you know, uh, yeah. one of the baby squirrels yeah. unfortunately got hit by a, a, a car. And so I was like, okay, this is probably a good time to, to sort of end this. Um, and hopefully we'll lure the family back in. They're welcome back at my place anytime, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. <laughs> Good enough. Well, okay, enough of the squirrels, but tell us now about the Lincoln Project, which is also getting a lot of traction, a lot of traction, and you guys are raising money. I saw a, a, a campaign report, I think it was a couple million, 1.9 million or a couple million or maybe more than that now, and you guys are doing ads. Basically, the message is, Trump is out at any cost. Let's get rid of him. And you're appealing to, you're reaching out to Democrats as well as Republicans, and building a trying to build a coalition. Now you're on that board. What what? How's that going? What is going? What's the latest with the Lincoln Project now? 
So the Lincoln Project, we, we started the Lincoln Project in uh, late fall, about November, October, November of last year. Uh, it's really um, seven or eight of us, Republican consultants, some of the most recognizable names in Republican political consulting, names like you know Steve Schmidt, who's done a lot of work in California, uh, names like Rick Wilson, one of the uh, top media guys in the country, uh, George Conway, um, who's um, um, very well known as an outspoken critic of the president, John Weaver, Jennifer Horn, the founder, uh, I'm sorry, the former um, chairwoman of the New Hampshire Republican Party, myself, who's obviously been involved in California politics and some national politics for the past 20 years, um, Ron Steslow, uh, digital uh, strategist. So the, all of us, uh, be, you know, we all knew of each other. Some of us have worked together in a formal capacity, others uh, less so. We um, realized during right as the impeachment hearings were getting ready to heat up that there was going to be no or, or very few Republican senators that would have the political courage to do what was clearly and obviously the right thing, which is hold the president accountable for undermining our Constitution and kind of running uh, the country uh, into a ditch, uh, mainly because they're just afraid of the politics of the whole situation. And so ironically, it took a band of political consultants in the Republican Party to kind of form a group that was um, basically going to call out what everybody knows, which is that Donald Trump is, a, is an imminent and existential threat to our country and to our de- democratic institutions. And we use skill sets that, and we use the skill sets that we have, which is we run, we run campaigns. Now, we know the Republican base very, very, very well. It's what we have all spent the vast majority of our careers working with. And we decided that we were going to have to work with those Republican constituencies to start moving Republicans off of Donald Trump. And I think we've been remarkably successful to this point. Um, and, I, and, you know, in the last 48 hours, we ran uh, what has been the most successful ad, which is called uh, the Morning in America ad. And obviously it's a playoff of oh, yeah. Ronald Reagan's epic Morning in America ad, where he was speaking about the dawn of a new age and the new era. We were speaking in the M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, Morning in America ad, which is uh, America is weaker, poorer, and sicker than it has been at any time um, in recent memory. And it's a result of the incompetence of Donald Trump and, and the Trump administration. And so, you know, Donald Trump, um, not for the first time, but for the first time in response to an ad, started tweeting at one in the morning about all of us and started attacking the organization and the group. And he followed up later in the morning with CNN kind of attacking the Lincoln Project. And and, um, I think we have over 10 million views on the ad now and has given us massive exposure. Um, We are, as you mentioned, raising a lot of money all through small donor activity, millions and millions of dollars of people who are just getting engaged in this, thousands of Republicans, thousands and thousands of Republicans saying, I've had it, I'm done. And we're in the process of building the uh, volunteer uh, operation to kind of make sure that that um, is most effective in the states where it needs to be. You'll be hearing a lot more about uh, some of the statewide leadership groups coming um, in every one of the 50 states, Lincoln Project Republicans who have had it with this president and will be openly campaigning against his reelection effort. So, um, you know, look, I've been involved in a lot of similar efforts uh, nationally over the past 25 years, almost every one of them. No, every one of them focused on a candidate or a party label. This is the first time where you are seeing people turning on their own party and saying, I don't know what this party is anymore. I don't know what it's become, but it's not what I uh, joined as a conservative and as a Republican, and I won't be party to this 
until uh, it reforms its ways. Um, so it's been. And has the base uh, shifted? Um, I mean, is it basically the whatever his approval ratings are now? Just generally, I, the last I saw, they're under forty percent, like thirty-nine, thirty-eight, forty percent. Uh, is that the same thirty-eight, thirty-nine, forty percent that he he would have had, or a Republican would have had ten years ago? Is the base under your feet, sort of shifting further to the right? Well, what you're asking is a few questions, so let me try to dissect that a lot as we kind of do as political consultants. There is no question yeah. that the base of the Republican Party is different now than it was four or five years ago. Um, there is a reason why Donald Trump was able to attack John McCain, attack George W. Bush, and attack Ronald Reagan and claim you know, um, a higher standing amongst Republicans than Abraham Lincoln. Um, yes, the Republican Party base is different. Now, that is, that is something to take into consideration, but it is an abject falsehood which the president peddles in regularly to suggest that he has 90% approval or 95% approval or these, these ridiculous numbers that he will claim support within the party. The answer to that is no, he does not. And even his approval ratings among the party have shown to be increasingly weak and tepid, especially as we deal with the coronavirus and the incompetencies of the administration in, in doing the most basic acts of government. So, um, yes, uh, the base has shifted, but no, it is not a 100% unanimous, uh, you know, coalition of Republicans in the country. In fact, not only is he losing support amongst Republicans, but the Republican Party, remember, is actually shrinking, uh, especially in states like California, where the numbers are just collapsing in terms of voter registration. And the, and the, the more the Republican Party shrinks, the more people that leave the easier it is to have higher approval ratings because the only people that are left are adherents to what the president is saying. But even amongst those loyalists and those real diehard Trumpists, we're starting to see significant weakening in the base. And it's why he's reacting to our group the way that he is. And he will continue to attack the Lincoln Project because we're having more and more success. And so finally, let, let, me, let me say with, with those two pieces in mind, let me, let me define success. You know, Donald Trump won this election in the Electoral College by a very, very razor-thin margin. If we're able to move just 2 to 3% um, of Republicans, not 23, but 2, 3, 2% or 3% uh, at a minimum, Donald Trump will lose in an Electoral College you know, disaster. It will be a tsunami. The, the, the impacts of losing even 2%, 3% of the Republican base are extraordinary. Uh, we think we're going to do far better than that. So, um, is that kind of? Do you see that kind of shift in those states? Uh, you know, you're talking about the electoral college, but in Michigan, Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah, you're already seeing it. We're already seeing yeah. it. If you look at the state by states right now, you will see what we call the Lincoln Project effect, which is Republicans are already moving off of them. There's a reason why he's losing by nine points in Pennsylvania, why he's losing by eight points in Michigan, why he's losing by seven points. In, um, in, uh, you know, some of the battle, uh, other battles in, in Florida, he's down seven. He's at, he's at 50 50. He's at, they're both sitting at 48% uh, in, uh, Texas. Uh, so like Colorado, he's down double digits. Um, you know, he's probably going to lose Arizona. He's down by nine points. Arizona McSally, the senator, is down by 12, 13 points in most polling. This is because Republicans are leaving the party. It's not an upsurge in Democrats. It's partially a movement of independence 
away from Trump, which he's been struggling with since his election. But most importantly, you're starting to see a hemorrhaging in the Republican base, particularly with college-educated Republicans. The higher the education level of Republicans, the further away they move from the president. And a lot of these folks have just had it. They you know, thought, okay, this is our choice. I really hate Hillary. This is who we're going to go with. Okay, I can put up with some of the incessant tweeting. Yes, he's obnoxious. Yes, he's not morally fit. But, you know, the, the economy seems to be doing fine, and I don't have much expectation of politicians. Now what we're seeing is the incompetence has led to uh, the spreading of the pandemic into the United States at a level that any expert would suggest we did not have to see. Tens of thousands of deaths. His solutions range from, you know, conspiracy theories about hydroxychloride to uh, injecting, you know, Clorox and, and, you know, internal light, whatever he's talking about. I mean, we're seeing we're seeing the incompetence on display on a daily basis. And the more that he's out there, I think the more Republicans are saying, "Okay, uncle, um, I can't even fool myself anymore. And that's why you're seeing those numbers move. So um, are you are you seeing ind- independence, Mike? Are you targeting? Uh, I guess who are you targeting most in the ads? Are you targeting independents to wean them from Trump? Are you targeting Republicans to? Yeah, no, no, we're we're going after Republicans. This is a Republican on Republican effort. Our job is not to you know win the presidency for the Biden campaign. That may be the net effect, and frankly, I'm very comfortable with that because of the destruction that's happening to my country. But our job is to do what we do best. We are Republicans who know Republican voters the best. And we are going to go in and convince Republicans that they can do the right thing for the benefit of our country, for the benefit of our democratic institutions, and that we can reconstitute something in the future that can bring back Republican and conservative ideals without going down this nationalist, Trumpist, you know, fiasco. And so, look, we are experts and we know our lane. We've done presidential campaigns. We've done gubernatorial campaigns. We've run campaigns at the highest levels. These are, these are some of the best operators in the business, in the country, on both sides of the aisle. We know what we're good at. We know our lane. We're doing it. We're doing it very effectively. You're already starting to see the impacts of what we have been doing. It's why the president is panicking, and it's why he should be panicked, because if we continue to have success and we're just getting started, um, this will be, a, um, I think, a momentous election where the, the way that we practice politics can be very, very different. And you've got the right people at the right time, I think, heading up this effort. We're, we're really proud of what we've seen to this, to, to this point in time. Do you think um, uh, when you first started this, when you first got the project going, uh, do you think there was suspicion? Did you see suspicion from fellow Republicans saying, hey, what's this, what are these Republicans doing going after other Republicans? Uh, did you, you run into opposition and hostility from them that you've overcome, or is that still out there? Oh, no, it's, it's definitely still out there. I mean, we were fully expecting the hostility. What I was not expecting was the overwhelming support from the Republican uh, constituencies out there. I got a call yesterday from somebody I did a campaign with 20 years ago the head of a local chamber of commerce in Southern California who said, I don't know if you remember me, but we worked together 20 years ago um, on a local assembly race. I, I did remember him. You, know, you remember these things, but you know, again, 20 years. And he said, I'm just so proud of what you're doing. I want to sign on. I made my first contribution. However, I can be helpful. I've got, you know, not just my family, but a whole group of friends who love what you're doing. All of us Republicans, we want to join in this effort. And again, these are just people that, that these are just anecdotally. I get calls like that all the time. And you can see it on social media 
I was fully expecting, you know, the, the haters to come out and, and look, they, 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 they're still, they're still attacking us. They're making us stronger when they do it. Um, but they, you know, they uh-huh. continue to attack us and let them, I mean, that's part of it is well, I'm not, I'm not afraid of any of these, these people that are politically attacking me. What, and I'm not surprised by it. What I have been surprised by is the strong show of support and people signing up former assembly members that we'll be talking about former high level uh, appointees in government at the state and the national level, very recognizable names that will be coming out. Republicans, current Republicans and former Republicans who left because of Trump, who will be um, uh, active in this campaign cycle and saying, uh, we're done, we're done with uh, this Trumpist nonsense, and we've got to get our country some, some sanity back in our country. How about geographically? Um, I would think you do well in California. California generally, because of its political makeup, uh, is strongly anti-Trump. But what kind of responses are you getting in states that aren't, you know, in the Midwest, in Oklahoma, in Kansas, and et cetera? How do, what kind of response are you getting from them? Can you gauge that as you go around the country? What do you see? Well, it's pretty similar. I mean, again, you can't get to the numbers that you're at in Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Florida right now, or Texas, at the polling, without, again, significant hemorrhaging in the Republican base. So, yeah, I mean, California is very fertile ground. Um, but the truth of the matter is, Republicans in California are not that dissimilar from Republicans in Kansas. The demographics are virtually identical. Um, if you are white, if you don't have a college degree, and if you live in a county that is not touching the ocean, uh, the chances of you being a Republican are very considerable. They're very high. That doesn't matter. It doesn't. It's whether you live in Kansas City or whether you live in Toledo, or whether you live in Scranton, or whether you live in, um, you know, in Reading. It doesn't matter. The demographic is, is virtually identical. So Republicans are Republicans kind of consistently. Uh, and that's the challenge that the Republican Party faces, not just in California, but nationally, is the Republican Party for, for years now has only been speaking to one demographic. And that demographic tends to be non-college-educated white voters, which is the nation's fastest shrinking demographic. It's also a much older demographic. So, um, you know, there, there is, there is, um, there are some limitations by geography, but not nearly as much as you would think. Um, and the fact of the matter is we are starting to see people, even of that demographic leave. And I think that the, the coronavirus situation really, um, exacerbated that mainly because this is like this older demographic is one that is particularly hard to hit and it's it, I mean you have to really stretch in terms of your level of self-denial to believe that the president wasn't responsible uh, for handling the way that this spread he certainly didn't create the virus he certainly couldn't have prevented it coming from the United States but he could have absolutely limited the, the, the carnage and the destruction and the death to, of, of individuals and the harm to our economy. And people are smart enough to see that. I mean, even if you, you really have drunk the, the Trump Kool-Aid, people are really figuring that out. And you're starting to see that in polling numbers. Are you seeing that too? Uh, you talked about independents earlier. California now has more independents than Republicans. I don't know if, as far as registration goes. I don't know how that's replicated across the country, but is your strongest uh, your, your most, uh, your, your best recipient of your message, are, are they independents? Even though you're looking at, Repu- you're targeting Republicans, well, but it seems like the independents, at least in California, hold a lot of sway now. 
Well, I mean, independents are a funny thing. You have to remember in a lot of states, they don't even, uh, you don't even register with a party. Um, so, so, you know, the way we track independents in California is very different than the way independents are monitored state by state. Um, a lot of people claim to be independent, but we know demographically that people really vote very tribally. If I know your party or your ethnicity, your gender, your geography, where you live and your income levels and college education rates, I can tell with an 85% certainty how you're going to vote and who you're going to vote for. So, um, yeah, I'm sure we are seeing some sort of spillover effect, not just with independents, but, you know, Democrats, but Democrats are already there anyway. I mean, there's, you're not seeing many Democrats at all. I mean, it's very anomalous to see any Democrats supporting, you know, Republicans or President Trump. That's just not going to happen. It's much more likely that you're going to see Republicans defecting away from Donald Trump. And again, maybe not necessarily supporting Joe Biden, but but just not voting. Um, as you know, look, I, I did not vote for Donald Trump in 2016. I didn't vote Hillary Clinton either. Right. I just didn't vote. And that that behavior in many ways is as strong and profound a statement by Republicans saying, I just uh, this I, I may not be able to vote for a Democrat, but I simply reject and I will not be part of this problem that is hurting my country. And that's the message that we're trying to convey. So. Again, it's really important. The distinction here is important. What we're, the, the first objective here is to defeat Donald Trump. And it may sound like we're saying the same thing by saying we're going to get somebody else elected, but that's really not the main objective. The main objective is to eradicate yeah. Trumpism and get rid of nationalism uh, in, in American politics generally, but in the Republican Party specifically. And we know how to do that with Republicans, and that's what we're going to be focused on. Anything else is ancillary. But it's not part of our strategic considerations. We just don't see that as our job. Our job is to do what we do and do it best. What do you, what do you think happens in a post-Trump world? Uh, say Trump is gone, and I don't know how the November elections are going to go, but say a Democrat wins, say Biden wins. But after that, where do Republicans turn to for a candidate they want? Where do they go? That becomes a very – that's a really good question. And, again, it's one that um, – you know, we can speculate, too, at this point. We talk a lot about that at the Lincoln Project, but we very quickly get back to the, the point that that's really not the issue at hand. I, I'm more than happy to talk about it now, but, again, I don't want, I want you to, uh, anybody listening to think that this is part of what is occupying most of our time because it's not. There's a threat right now that uh-huh, we have sure. to take care of. And, and in the same way that, um, you know, the revolution was started by uh, the founding fathers, they weren't really thinking much about what the government they were going to create afterwards was going to be. They just knew that they needed to get rid of, uh, uh, you know, a, a king with a heavy hand, and that's basically what we're trying to do. We'll worry about the rest of the governance later. Having said that, my personal belief is that, um, and I've said this for years now, I'm not very optimistic about the future of the Republican Party because the Republican Party really no longer has an ideological Core. There's no longer a set of beliefs that it is that its adherents subscribe to. Um, they can no longer lay the claim of being small government advocates. They're no longer people who are opposed to taxes when they've supported tariffs and taxes for this president whenever he's asked for them. We're obviously weaker on the foreign uh-huh. policy stage. So nothing that has defined republicanism in the past 50 years exists anymore. Uh, All that exists is kind of this cult of Trump and following Trump. Now, when Trump is gone, and that's an interesting way to put it, depending on how he leaves, uh, I think the Trump family will be involved in Republican politics for a long time, Um, not unlike the Le Pens in France, where they just have this 
30% hardcore nationalist, racist, you know, political association that is led by a family. I think you're going to see something very similar in American politics where the Trumps uh, will probably be driven from office and ostracized, but they will remain um, a, you know, a, a player in politics because their adherents uh, are significant enough to, to royal sort of the American political system. Now, what does that mean for conservatism, uh-huh. which is increasingly a different thing than republicanism? So I do, I, do yeah. believe, I do believe that we are in a time where there will be a resurgence of conservatism, but it will not necessarily be republicanism. I believe uh, that uh-huh. Donald, Trump, Donald Trump has made the distinction between republicanism and conservatism very clear. The Republican Party has largely, almost entirely, become a party of nationalism. And I don't think that nationalism has a future in a uh, forward-thinking, open, technologically open and advanced society. Um, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But my, my fights will be with conservatism and with uh, Republicans reengaging a more conservative philosophy that I joined um, with you know, Ronald Reagan um, uh, back in the, in the 1980s. We'll see if, if there's a relevance for yeah. that going forward. Do you think the Trump name, you know, you mentioned family members. I'm just wondering if they're in the post-Trump world, do people like Ivanka Trump run for office? Uh, do the Trump sons, one or the other, run for office? Is there a Jared Kushner campaign waiting to be done out there? Or is the Trump name by that time so discredited that they're basically out of public life? And do they want to be, even be in public life? They seem to be much more comfortable working privately rather than being elected to anything. Well, they make a lot of money off of uh, public office. And, um, that's, and we've got to be clear about that. We don't talk about that as much because there's so many other scandals before it. But the Trump kids have yeah. made hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars by leveraging their father's role in, in, in public office. Um, hundreds of millions of dollars. It's a, it's a level of grift and corruption, frankly, that we haven't ever seen in this country. Um, but I think the answer to your question is the same. Yes, I think that they will be running for public office because they view it as good business. They can make money off of it. And yes, I think their name will largely be radioactive and affiliated with, uh, have a very negative connotation for the vast majority of the public. But even if they have a third of the of the electorate, which I think they probably have a firm grip on, um, you will see yeah. the Trump you will see the Trumps involved in either in public life directly as candidates, and I think that I think that you will see that in 2024, or perhaps more importantly as kind of kingmakers in the Republican Party and using the levers of government to further enrich themselves. I think that's just part of this is part uh-huh. of their business model, and and it's worked out for them at least to this point. Uh, quite well. And unless they are put in jail or prevented from being held in public office, I think that that will always be part of a business strategy that they employ. You know, on a much, much smaller scale, I recall uh, when uh, after Jerry Brown's first two terms, when he left office, his name was radioactive. Jerry Brown had sort of a radioactive negativity out there. And even his staff members, there were many staff members who had trouble relocating and getting into other, the brownies they called them then, had trouble getting back into uh, getting back into work, getting back into political work. Some of them, I think, one group actually wound up founding. Um, oh gosh, what was it? It was a it was a coffee chain um, here in Sacramento. They actually started just went into business for themselves because getting on, going back to their traditional occupations was difficult. But you don't see anything like that happening with with the Trump family, the Trump name. Once he's gone, he still has Trump on his skyscrapers, and he still has family members out there with lots of money and potentially able to, to curry followers. Is, 
you see more of a chance for him than you, than you would say on a like I said on a smaller scale for a Jerry Brown and his followers. Well, yeah, I think they're very different situations, and it's kind of like my my uh, fellow traveler Rick Wilson would say, you know, everything Trump touches dies. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of Jerry Brown people in the second term who are doing quite well and fit in quite successfully. You know, kind of during the Gavin Newsom era in California politics. You're not, you yeah. know, Trump. Trump has a very almost near unanimous track record of anybody who's gone to work for him becomes radioactive. And these people are not. They they peddle in grift. They don't peddle in influence. Uh, other outside the Trump uh-huh. sphere. You're not seeing the best and the brightest go to Washington work with Donald Trump. They're seeing the best and brightest stay away and try to create solutions around this government. So it's a very different dynamic. I will say here in blue states, especially California, we can and should remember those that are advancing the Trump agenda. You know, this is not a joke. This is not typical Republican or Democratic politics. If you're working for the state party and you're advancing, you know, a racist, sexist, nationalist, you know, agenda, I think that that will be remembered in Sacramento. If you're, if you're working for this, I think that it's saying everything about your character. And I think that that will be a part of the challenge of trying to find work in politics. You're not viewed as somebody who's there for the profession of it. You're there because you're, you're, you're hurting our country. You're hurting other people. You literally wake up every day with an agenda that is tearing at the fabric of who we are as a people I don't think that is going to be forgotten anytime soon. I'm not sure it should be forgotten anytime soon. And I think that that's the way a lot of the Trump, you know, people who worked in the, for the Trump party and the Trump agenda are going to be viewed. And I think that's the way history will remember this presidency and those that advocated for it or tried to replicate it or try to advance it. And I think that that's something we need to remember as a society is this is not a lot of this. Um, if not all of it, has been unacceptable in a, in a forward-thinking democracy. These are A lot of these lessons are lessons that we are taught in basic civics courses of what you do not do uh, as an American, as a person, candidly. And I don't think that that's going away anytime soon. Do you see, do you see a, a role for the Lincoln Project, say, at the Republican convention, assuming there's a convention, uh, is there a, a special role for the project there as far as advocacy, as far as delegates? Um, is there something you'll be doing over the summer as we get closer to the election day? I have no doubt that Lincoln Project will have some sort of presence at the convention, but it's probably not the presence that you're talking about. Look, we, 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 are, not, we are not trying to save the Republican Party. As I have said numerous times, I'm not trying to save the Republican Party anymore. I, as a Latino expert and specialist, I've you know, tried to work with people um, for 20 years to, to, to appeal to the better angels of their nature. They're not interested in that. The average Republican leader and operative in the state is not interested in that. Genuinely, they're not. So, you know, at this point, we're trying to fumigate the party. Uh, I'm not trying to save it. We're trying to fumigate it. We're trying to, we're trying to rid the party of these elements, these nationalist elements which have consumed it. So I, there's not a single Republican uh, in the Lincoln Project that uh, is focused right now on, on how we get a more moderate faction or a more reasonable faction or a more educated and informed faction to kind of reclaim the party mantle. That's not what we think about. Um, we're not sure that it is um, salvageable. It may be, and I'm more than happy to work with some of those elements that are. But for the moment, um, there's an existential threat to our country. 
and that's what we will be uh, working on defeating. And if the Republican Party can be part of that uh, vehicle, then I'm more than happy to have that conversation. And if it can't be, then I'm more than happy to put it to rest. Great. Mike Madrid, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with us this morning. We appreciate it. And this is John Howard with Capital Weekly, and we will see you next time around. Take care. Thanks, John.